to Logical, the UE's first and still the only regular legal podcast. My name's Tim Elliott, and as always, Logical comes to you from the Dubai-based legal firm, HPL Yamalava and Plethka. And here is the managing partner, Ludmilla Yamalava. Nice to see you. Good to see you too, Tim. Thanks for being here. This episode of Logical, Ludmilla, is kind of special. It's new, uh, hot off the press, and I really mean that. You and your practice have recently made history in the UAE with the enforcement of a foreign judgment. So that's what we're going to talk about, along with LY Law making history as well. First of all, in general terms, because there's a lot to take in here, would you set the stage, just outline the the bones of the story, if you like, and also define the term foreign judgment for everybody? Let's perhaps start with the, the basic question, what is the foreign judgment and mm. why is it important? Uh, so in very simple terms, a foreign judgment, it's a judgment that's issued by a court of a different jurisdiction from a different country uh, and that is being enforced or uh, is attempted to be enforced in a different country. So let's say, um, and uh, we can use actually very specific examples because that's the example we'll talk about today. Uh, let's say it's a judgment from the United States. It's a U.S. judgment uh, that uh, was not enforced in the U.S. and instead uh, is being enforced in the UAE. Right. Uh, so that's the concept of a foreign judgment. Now, uh, in the definition of foreign judgment, now why is it important? And it's important for a number of reasons. Uh, and that is that, especially in today's day and age, in this sort of very global environment, global uh, world, people move a lot. We're very all very transient, very, very mobile. Uh, and uh, people touch a lot of different uh, places um, in one way or another uh, without necessarily being permanently attached or even regularly attached to that particular place. So for example, you know, you go, you go to the U.S., you make an investment in the U.S., but you don't live there. You're not a resident of the U.S., you, you um, are not a citizen of the U.S., and you don't work in the U.S., but you just were traveling and uh, saw a property, you bought a property, voila, you touched that jurisdiction. So if there's a dispute, for example, involving that particular property in the U.S., and, um, and there's a judgment that's entered against that, the party that again, who is not a U.S. citizen, not a U.S. resident, does not live in the U.S., does not reside in the U.S., and does not work in the U.S., and in any other way, so it does not really touch the country. So now you've got this judgment, what can you do with it? If the person doesn't have any assets in the U.S. either, so you cannot really enforce the judgment because it's, you know, it's the person is not there, nor does that, does that person have any, uh, any ascertainable assets, which you can um, uh, try to uh, to do seize in order to satisfy the judgment. And these kinds of incidents happen all too often. Uh, and that is people will um, incur, let's say, obligation of one type or another in one country and then uh, run away from the obligation to another country. So this is why the idea of, of enforcement of foreign judgment or the topic of enforcement of judgment is an important one. It's an important one because of the world we live in today. And because these kinds of incidents and these uh, kind of examples happen all too often, this well, it's it's a very common topic, uh, and perhaps where we have seen or um, have heard more about the, uh, the the judgments, foreign judgments being enforced, are in two different contexts. One is uh, personal status. 
And that's in alimony, for example. So that is, it's actually, it's been a fairly established practice of, for example, if you have um, an alimony judgment, and that not to stereotype anyone, but often these alimony judgments are against the father who basically has to pay, has the obligation to pay alimony to the children mm. and doesn't, and so leaves the country so just to avoid paying. So, for example, these kinds of judgments, these sort of alimony judgments historically have been enforced through other kind of even expedited uh, methods uh, through the embassies and the sort of foreign offices. And that's with the idea, again, because you're trying to the interest of the of, of the state to preserve the, the, the children and and um, their financial stability. So if you are kind of one of those, again, not to stereotype, and uh, forgive me for using these kinds of phrases, but they do kind of exist in the, in, in the context of this discussion, deadbeat father. <laughs> 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 that uh, uh, just running away from your obligations. So um, there, are these kinds of uh, court judgments and uh, alimony judgments, for example, historically have been more uh, more commonly uh, enforced in other jurisdictions because, mm. sort of, for all the obvious reasons, right? Because it's the interest of the children that are at stake. Uh, so we've heard those uh, kind of cases being more successful or more effective uh, than criminal cases as well. So, if, for example, if you have, uh, let's use a very um, sort of extreme example, some, you murdered someone. I mean, a murder is a murder everywhere, right? It's basically a crime. So if you like, murdered somebody in, let's say, Australia and then uh, moved to the UAE, I mean, you're still, that's a you know, it's 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 a very uh, objective case where you don't need to necessarily prove that. Well, in Australia, this was uh, illegal, but in the UAE, it may be legal. So, um, um, so enforcement of criminal judgments, therefore, have also uh, historically been more effective. And in, and criminal judgments usually are followed by, for example, it's called the extradition request. So, whether there's mm. a criminal judgment. Let's say in Sweden and Finland for let's say tax tax evasion, but it's a criminal judgment, and then the person resides in the UAE, and um, and so again people are falling, are running away from their obligations, right, or from their liabilities, uh, or from basically serving their punishment, <laughs> and uh, because we do live in the such a global world, one and two, a lot of the passports these days will open up doors to many different countries, uh, so um, so we've also heard the the idea of. Um, or the topic of foreign judgments enforced in the UAE in terms of the criminal context more often. So there have been recently cases, for example, uh, where exactly for like tax uh, evasion uh, and fraud, uh, a judgment from a foreign jurisdiction, let's say Finland or Norway or Denmark, and uh, the authorities of that country basically pursuing the person in, let's say, the UAE, and they and trying to make an extradition request to the UAE. Dear UAE, this person is residing in your country. We've got a criminal judgment against them. We want to extradite them. Now, it's it's topic of extradition is a different topic, and we'll dedicate a separate podcast for this because it's a very interesting and a very uh, and a very um, timely and topical discussion. Uh, but uh, it come it, it's relevant in the context of enforcement of judgments because it is also a form of enforcement of a, of a judgment, a foreign judgment. It's okay. just that criminal judgments you uh, you historically have seen uh, have been perhaps more readily uh, enforced in other jurisdictions or at least assisted by foreign authorities such as extraditing the person uh, because uh, because it's criminal in nature, right? Mm. So now in terms of civil judgments, what are we talking about civil? So we're talking about personal status, this kind of alimony disputes, for example. Then you have criminal um, fraud or you know, murder and you know, drugs, you know, terrorist kind of examples. But then there's the civil judgments where literally you just basically there's a court, court, court judgment against you for, let's say, non-payment of, of a debt. 
like a commercial debt. It could be uh, breaching an agreement and there's some sort of financial obligations. It could be out of tort uh, where you've done something wrong and there's a compensation that the court awarded. Uh, so, so it's basically, ultimately, it's a civil a dispute that has a commercial element to it, i.e. a civil dispute that uh, be it breach of contract, tort, uh, uh, default on, on loan, or any kind of other personal sort of obligations. So it's a civil a civil in nature, but there is a monetary compensation that's attached to that by virtue of the court's decision. So in other words, let's say you breached on that, you bought a property and uh, you breached, you took a loan and you stopped paying the loan. So now the the bank will bring a, a, a case against you, and because you took the money from from the bank and you just stopped paying it, so the bank will bring a case against you. So it's a civil dispute, but there will be a court judgment that says, okay, you Tim, you stole money, and now you have to re- return that money. Plus, there could be compensation. So different jurisdictions assign different penalties and compensation in addition to the underlying, perhaps your monetary um, claim. Right. So, in other words, ultimately, you have a judgment that is civil in nature, but it has a monetary compensation uh, attached to it. So, it's a civil or slash commercial. I mean, it becomes a commercial obligation. So, as per this judgment, you Tim owe me, for example, uh, you know, a hundred thousand dollars. Historically, these judgments, because they're not personal status and they're not, you know, they're not as alimony judgments, so they're not as sort of aided by other um, foreign. Uh, foreign governments in the same way as alimony judgments are, and they're not criminal in nature, so therefore they're not being sort of uh, acted on as as efficiently and um, uh, perhaps more um, sort of more seriously as civil judgments. You know, these so the civil judgment don't have that kind of gravitas, if you will. So therefore, historically, they have not been as readily enforced uh, in just amongst the countries. Um, so there's that. Now, on top of that, there is also which countries we're talking about. So if you're, for example. And not to offend anyone, but let's say if you are, uh, you're coming from England and you've got a judgment from Yemen, you're trying to enforce in England, uh, you know, the, the courts will also look at the underlying uh, fabric of basically the country and the judicial system uh, from where you're trying to enforce the judgment. So, but there is also this uh, general concept of sovereignty, of sovereignty, which is courts don't like to be sort of told by other courts of other countries what to do, right? So, um, and that obviously is, is, um, uh, is backed by the uh, idea of the whole sort of as part of being sovereign state, you have your own laws. So just because something is uh, illegal or criminal in your country, it may not be in my country. And I don't want you to tell me, uh, you, you courts in, for example, England, tell me the court in um, uh, the UAE how to, what to do. So there's a little bit that's also historically there's been a bit of this kind of resentment uh, okay, the default resentment. Like I'm not going to just because it's a judgment from a foreign court. I'm not just not going I'm, just because it's a court judgment. I'm not going to enforce it at face value. So that's kind of the overall premise, perhaps historically. Now, obviously, over the years, a lot of a lot of countries have similar judicial systems, similar economical standing, similar sort of rights and protection of of uh, citizens and residents. So there's more recognition in terms. Of, okay, if you have a judgment from the U.S. versus the U.K., those two. Uh, uh, so the judgment, uh, a British judgment or English judgment in the U.S. will be a lot more uh, perhaps readily reviewed and enforced um, just because of the the relationship between the two countries. So there's that. So over the years, obviously, there's a lot more of these kinds of countries that are, are work closely together and cooperate closely together. So therefore, judgments between them or for their own of their own courts uh, have a given this sort of mutual recognition. Okay. All right. It's called okay. the principle of comity, which is a recognition of another court's judgment. Right. 
So, and with the world being as, as global as a sort of accepting as it has been, there's a lot more of these partnerships uh, between uh, and collaborations and cooperation between countries. So there's a lot more countries that are now cooperating on that basis. Um, on the one hand, because um, because of sort of their underlying kind of workings as, as countries are concerned, but on the other hand, also some countries do this because they've also they've taken a step forward. And they send special treaties. Treaties, so for example, let's say you're from England and I'm from Finland. So we decided we will sign a treaty that specifically states, expressly states that if our judgments will be mutually recognized. Okay. So, so sometimes foreign judgments are enforced because of the treaty, because there's a treaty between the, between the two countries, and other times it's just because of this sort of principle of comity. It's called. It's where you recognize that you live in what I perceive to be a fairly established and um, developed country. You know, and you come into my country, which is fairly established and developed. So I'll recognize the, the judgment of your uh, of your courts, uh, and and by just basically giving it recognition. Uh, without having to really litigate the case. But you know, there are a few caveats. And the main caveat that I've sort of seen, uh, and that is as long as that particular judgment is not against public morals or, or public order of the country. Mm. Uh, so, for example, let's say um, uh, you have a judgment uh, between, I mean, we've talked before in the past, <laughs> this is kind of a, uh, a little bit of a wild, wild example, but let's say in some countries, cannabis, right, is is uh, not illegal. And let's say if you have a license and you trade cannabis, you know, and let's say you are the cannabis trader and I took your cannabis and I didn't pay for it, for example, right? And so you 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 go to, you go to court because in that particular country you are you're acting within the parameters of the law. You're not doing anything illegal. So you have a judgment and I took your stuff and I didn't pay you for it, right? right. So it's a commercial transaction. So it's a civil dispute, commercial transaction. There's a financial compensation attached to it. So in that particular country, let's say it could be you know, Netherlands <laughs> uh, or the U.S. Uh, so that judgment is valid. Now, if you're trying to enforce, you chase me. I, I'm not in the U.S. or the Netherlands. I've moved to the UAE. And now you're trying to chase me. I owe you, let's say, a million dollars. You're trying to ch- chase me here. Now, the UAE, let's say UK, U.S., whatever, the Netherlands, um, may, they may think of each other as, okay, our... Countries and our judicial systems are sort of similar enough. We will we want to honor this sort of principle of comity of you know, recognition of each other's judgments. Uh, but hang on a second. You know, cannabis in the UAE is is illegal. So for us to enforce that kind of a judgment would be against public morals. So that's yeah, that's one of the perhaps main reasons that permeates. It seems that all judicial systems is that they. Uh, if uh, e- and that, by the way, happens even if you have a treaty involved. If you, there's a treaty-specific treaty between the two countries okay. that clearly states that we will recognize each other's judgments, but if recognizing your judgment would ultimately have uh, violate the public morals or public principles of of my country, the courts basically that is one ground, consistent ground, which the courts will say sorry um, for you know, any other judgment, yes, but not this particular judgment because it, it violates our fundamental. Uh, morals or principles. So that's kind of how foreign judgments in general in the world and the kind of historically are sort of treated and that's the, and that's why it's important is because these days it's all too easy for people to just go and take an obligation in one country, run away from that obligation and move to a different country. And we've seen it all too often and um, 
interestingly enough, the UAE being uh, kind of truly like almost in the heart of the world in terms of ge geographically. It's so convenient located to so many different parts of the world. One, it's, a, it's an incredibly rapidly developing and very progressive place to live and a very comfortable place to live. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're very welcoming of people from all different jurisdictions in terms of passports and, and especially now there's these special golden visas we've discussed before in our yeah. podcasts and different types of visas that allow people to stay in the country a lot longer, invest here, and have many, many benefits. Uh, so the UAE historically has also been kind of um, a very... Uh, popular place for people to come and live and want to live for different reasons, but including those perhaps who want to kind of run away from their obligations because uh, one of the other main factors in addition to the ones I've described is it's, it's an English language-based country, although obviously Arabic here is the official language, but on the day-to-day -day basis, we're all speaking English, right? So it's one yeah. thing like, let's say if you're trying to run away from France, living in, in China may be a little more difficult, <laughs> right? Or in some sort of African country where English is a limited, um, of the limited utility, but in a place like the UAE, it's there it has a very welcoming and uh, re visa regime. It's very um, geographically uh, well located. It's very modern, very progressive. It's very comfortable. It's just you know, it's great infrastructure. Uh, there's a lot of opportunities here to work and uh, and live and and uh, invest. Uh, mm -hmm. So uh, so because of all these reasons, and you know, un until recently there wasn't much of a, of a tax here as well. <laughs> it's changing right before our eyes. Uh, but, you know, for all the many good reasons and deserving reasons, the UAE has been a very popular place for people to come and live and park themselves here, including those who are perhaps trying to run away from some of their obligations. And we have seen this all too often. And, and I've been here for 15 years and I've seen people I remember I saw in 2008 when I came here. There's a lot of people that came from uh, like Hong Kong and Singapore to the UAE, uh, foreigners, um, so Europeans who had lived in Hong Kong and Singapore. And apparently later you'll find out, oh, they had to leave Hong Kong or Singapore because they were conducting some sort of financial trading without a proper license. So there was a mm. case against them. So they ended up here and uh, because the UAE was such a new country the sort of vetting process of people and their backgrounds wasn't implemented right away it's today we know so if you go if you're claiming to be an engineer you need to show me your certificates and these certificates have to be properly attested that was it wasn't yeah. always like this so basically yeah. you could have come here before you could come here before and be whoever you wanted to be and uh, and people would take it face value so I mean there's many many reasons right but basically Historically, the UAE has also been one of those kind of popular places for some of these people to who don't want to pay their obligations to, you know, to, to park themselves here. And the topic of foreign judgment, enforcement of, of civil judgments, right? So criminal judgments have been sort of acted on here and there with extradition requests and even extradition um, sort of uh, deportations and such. But in terms of civil judgments, um, it hasn't been as welcoming or receptive the country mm. and its judicial system has not been as receptive of having civil judgments be enforced uh, in the UAE as part of the judicial system. Okay, but that is changing, which gives me the opportunity to say to you, right, tell us about this uh, one particular case, I guess, the first U.S. civil judgment enforced in the UAE. Now, I have a million questions, and the, the issue I've got is trying to put them into some sort of order, but I know you're going to anticipate lots of them. So let's talk about the case, and, and I, I, I know you have to talk about it in broad terms, but you had to navigate, I guess, and re-navigate 
uh, and then re-navigate again for this to come to fruition. Um, talk me through how long, uh, what the case was, how long it took, the obstacles you faced, and I guess ultimately why things uh, changed the way they did. Yeah, so this is truly, as uh, as you said, and as I like to say, we are making history, and uh, and and that is perhaps also why I have remained in this country for so long. Because mm. as I often say, is like I feel like often that I'm sort of in the thick of the history in the making, because this country is changing so rapidly and growing, progressing, and developing forward so quickly uh, that you do often feel like, especially in my industry as a lawyer, you feel like you are seeing these new laws change and you are part of the implementation of these new laws. I mean, that's been the thing with you and me, isn't it? We've talked about this ad infinitum. It was, um, let's do some podcasts. So we did a few podcasts. And now, and I, I'm not making this up, keeping up with the changes is is difficult. There's so much happening. Absolutely. And, and I'd say I even add more to it. And it's because of, for example, the... Uh, among other things, obviously, but even our podcast. That, uh, in addition to us as as, as legal practitioners and and uh, you know our sort of as our little podcast. Um, in addition to uh, being part of implementing the you know, the changes, mm. I think we're also influencing the change. Okay. Uh, and influencing even new laws and new amendments uh, to the laws and um, and more change and how because basically by spreading the word and communicating and sharing the knowledge and and the feedback um, that we as as legal practitioners experience and we feed it through our podcast and other social media mm. updates and so in response to that we have also seen sort of the. The, the, the law change and the the, uh, the kind of the business practices and the legal practices evolve. Um, so I'd like to take a little bit of credit here and there that we've played a small part <laughs> in helping so legislation uh, move forward. Uh, so it, that's that's one of the exciting part about being in the UAE. But um, and that's what kept me here. I, I came here for what I thought was going to be one year, and look, it's 15 years now. I'm still here. <laughs> same <laughs> office. <laughs> same office. So. Um, but this particular case was has always been an interesting one because this judgment it was a U.S. judgment it involved basically a client who um, uh, who secured a, a civil judgment that had a a monetary value to it about a million dollars um, against a foreign citizen in in the U.S. But the case was actually brought in against sort of the originally the case was brought over a dispute over property mm-hmm. uh, between the two parties and so the property was based in the U.S. and so. Uh, so therefore, obviously, the courts in the U.S. had the jurisdiction because it related to the property, and then, and then there were some other sort of claims of tort. There's a counterclaim that happened as part of tort, uh, and so um, again, related to the U- to the U.S. and the U.S. courts had jurisdiction over all of these different matters. So there was a judgment ultimately um, that uh, was issued against against the defendant for a million dollars and then it basically and all the appeals and all that sort of um, the final stages had already passed and the judgment ultimately became final now because it involved a party that um, 
a defendant who was not a U.S. citizen and did not live in the U.S. and did not work in the U.S., had no assets in the U.S., uh, at least uh, significant assets at that point in time. Uh, so uh, and so you have this judgment, uh, a, a very well-reasoned and a sort of a, a kind of a, a belabored judgment because it had gone through different stages until it became final mm. and non-appealable. Uh, and a lot of sort of service and documentation had been done to make sure that this judgment is final, final, and that so the I's are dotted and, and T's are crossed. And so, and then you ultimately have this judgment, but uh, the person doesn't have any interest in the U.S. And so, what what value do you have in this judgment? So, and the defendant actually was based, um, at least you know, here and there, at different times, different parts, was based in the UAE. Uh, so not a UAE national, a European national, but um, I was resident in the UAE at times uh, full time, at other times kind of part time. So um, uh, so we tried to basically from early on to uh, enforce that judgment in the UAE courts. However, there were a number of, of impediments at the time. And then um, that kind of goes back to your questions, you know, what was the journey, our journey? And that's been the journey because it, yeah. it's kind of a long process because at the time, uh, and that was you know, almost almost 10 years ago, uh, the UAE legal system basically was not very receptive to enforcement of foreign judgments. There are a number of requirements that made it a lot more difficult uh, to, um, uh, to try to enforce the foreign judgment and in at a high level, the main reason for that is that the laws uh, seem to require an existence of a treaty, a treaty between the two countries. Yeah. So in other words, and there should have been a treaty between the UAE and the U.S. in order for the UAE to enforce, um, to, to, to want to enforce the U.S. judgment. And that's what we spoke earlier. This your courts historically or countries historically have uh, have been enforcing each other's or refusing enforcing to enforce each other's uh, judgments on the basis of either sort of this implicit uh, recognition of each other's uh, competence uh, or explicit by virtue of a treaty. Right. And so but the UAE's laws at the time basically had this requirement of a treaty. So it was in a way a non-starter because there was not a treaty between the U.S. and the UAE at the time, nor is there one today still. Uh, so interestingly enough, and there's another sort of twist to it. Those uh, those who've listened to our podcast in the past uh, would have perhaps uh, listened to this own podcast about the different types of legal systems in the UAE, because we also have a DIFC court here, which is a very sort of a court within the court, yeah. uh, or I guess jurisdiction within a different jurisdiction, so almost like a an independent, like a Vatican type jurisdiction in Italy, So, and that's called the Dubai International Financial Center Court, or the DIFC, and that's an English sort of common law uh, jurisdiction in the, in, in the midst of a civil law, which the, UAE, the rest of the UAE is, and it's an English-based court, and it's uh, mainly English-trained judges, and so it's based on English, the laws of the DFC are based on sort of English laws. So for a time, there was even the period where uh, the DIFC courts, because they were more, so they're, they're based on common law system and an English system and English laws and they're uh, presided by mainly English trained judges. Uh, so they were more receptive to the idea of enforcing foreign judgments. And for a while in particular, the DFC had even created this reputation for itself. It was called the conduit jurisdiction, where you would do, you go into, you bring, for example, it, it was specific, especially um, uh, popular but effective and um, and successful with regards to enforcing arbitration awards, foreign arbitration awards, or just arbitration awards, is that you come, you bring it to the DIFC, you sort of domesticate it in the DIFC, 
And then once you have a judgment because from the DFC courts, then you take it to the local courts and you try to enforce it to the local courts already as a as a UAE judgment from the DFC courts, not as a foreign judgment, but I guess a UAE judgment, but but issued by a different court. So for a while, there was even basically we we even investigated and explored that option of the DIFC courts using DFC courts to basically domesticate the judgment or localize the judgment here. And then try to enforce in the local courts. So that's like a ratification, isn't it? I, I guess exactly. That's yeah, exactly okay. right. Yes, right. the ratification. Now the DFC courts is uh, not inexpensive. It's actually because it's all in dollars. Mm. It's quite. And when you're talking about a judgment that's a million dollars, the fees to the courts was quite, quite expensive. So the client wasn't really in the position at the time to um, uh, to try. It's that's in addition you pay court fees and you lawyer fees and uh, every hearing costs in mm-hmm. dollars. So it's it's a you know it's a really committed exercise. And that kind of happened at the same time also when the DFC courts um, retracted a little bit their conduit jurisdiction um, uh, influence or powers. This is typical in so many other jurisdictions and countries with uh, multiple judicial and jurisdictional uh, districts. Uh, is this what's called a conflict of interest, you know, conflict of, of laws, conflict of laws, perhaps not interest, but conflict of laws. So when there's one state is challenging the other state's um, jurisdiction. So same thing here with the local courts and the DFC courts is a little bit of a conflict of, of laws uh, uh, sort of evolution that was happening. So as part of it, then the DFC seemed to have kind of retracted a little bit of that um, power of um, localizing or ratifying a, a foreign judgment. But that's just to give you an idea how, you know, what we had to go through. So, and and, and also on top of that, we worried, okay, if, even if we have a judgment from the DIFC, it can be extraordinarily expensive. But then again, when they bring it back to, and to try to, to enforce it in the local courts, could that potentially cause problems for the same reason? Because ultimately there wasn't a treaty between the two countries. So, and then we had research high and low, the judgments or precedents, the UAE from the local courts to see if there was anything that's similar in particular for enforcement of U.S. judgment. Um, there were a few judgments, for example, from different countries like where you have a lot of residents, the sort of heavy numbers of residents like India. There's a, There seem to be a little more uh, recognition, but also there's some treaties that are signed between the UAE and some other countries where it was those those countries where there was a treaty, there was more of a recognition right. of judgment on the basis of those treaties. Uh, so, But nothing on the U.S., so certainly not a civil judgment. Uh, the laws did not really help us because they seemed to require this the treaty. And then the um, the DFC court was not very helpful because it kind of required it was very expensive and was still very uncertain. And then and it was the practice was it was kind of changing. Uh, and and the courts themselves and the precedents we just we could not find. Uh, uh, much help in that department, so there just were no cases to to rely on. So, I, in other words, there had not been a civil judgment from the U.S. that we were able to find all these years that we could kind of use as a uh, as a precedent uh, mm. to argue off of. Well, and now fast forward. So, you know, but attempts were made, and judgment sort of had been kind of the U.S. judgment had been domesticated. Um, uh, here kind of on this different front had been translated and used in different juncture junctions to to try to serve and 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 the, and the defendant actually knew that he was being chased um here as well but uh just with the same kind of audacity of like uh, carelessness i don't care about a u.s judgment attitude it was basically the same judgment the way the same uh, the same attitude was treated here i don't care but cer- certainly he was aware now 
as we know, laws have been changing a lot uh, in the last, uh, since COVID. I will forever be grateful to COVID for that because there are so <laughs> many uh, positive legislative changes that happen in this country in particular. And we're kind of in the thick of it all. Mm. Uh, we've benefited intellectually and professionally from all these uh, legislative uh, developments. Uh, so it's been exciting, but it's also been very rewarding because we've seen a lot of cases where we can actually really help people. And we've talked about on this podcast before about the auto uh, wedlock babies, for example, yeah. Uh, yeah. and uh, bounce checks. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, these are all good examples of how something that used to be in even even the uh, the drug offenses, mm -hmm. things that used to be just categorically considered criminal and uh, punished by. By jail sentences, those crimes were basically being amended, and we were able to help a lot of people on the back of these new laws. And so um, it's kind of exciting era for us as, as legal practitioners. Now, as part of these changes as well, there was also a decision that amended, it was Decision 75 of 2021, that amended um, basically the Article 85 of the Civil Procedure Law. And the civil procedure law, that's basically the law that sets out, uh, and that's, this is, that sets out different procedural regulations for, in terms of the, uh, the court practice in the UAE, in simple terms. And so, um, um, so this, there's this article 85 of the civil procedure law specifically that governs, uh, the enforcement of foreign judgments. So it's a specific article in the UAE civil procedure law that sets out, okay, there is, um, a procedure for, for enforcement of foreign judgment. And uh, and basically, just kind of ensured the principles of the general framework of this Article 85. There's just that the default principles of the foreign judgments uh, may be ordered and enforced in the UAE, uh, and uh, basically as as per as per the same sort of conditions as they were enforced in the local courts or in the, the foreign court. Uh, and you know some of the other requirements is that they cannot the UAE courts cannot have exclusive jurisdiction. So in other words, there's still so if the UAE had exclusive jurisdiction over that particular party or that case, then other judgment from the other court um, would not have been enforced here. So so that was one of the conditions. Um, and then also that the the foreign court that issued the judgment uh, was the competent court that had the jurisdiction and competency to basically rule on a specific issue. Mm -hmm. Uh, and obviously, as I said before, that uh, it doesn't violate the public order uh, or public morals and so against, not against the sort of overall country's policy. Uh, and there's a few kind of other nuances that uh, the sort of principle of fairness, making sure the defendant, for example, was served properly. But it's kind of embedded as a general principle of this Article 85. And that's, again, sort of in terms of. You know, the, the processes were all followed properly. The party had um, had been served and had the opportunity to defend themselves and they had been informed of this judgment and such. Uh, so, as you uh, might have noted, uh, this Article 85 makes no mention of the treaty. <laughs> so, and, but remember, this is, you know, we're talking about 2021, and um, the article itself might not have changed so much. The wording of it uh, has not been amended so much, but it was more just that the practice, the UAE practice, in addition to how the, the previous language of the article uh, was drafted, it had this kind of embedded expectation of the, the treaty. 
the between the countries for enforcement or recognition of judgments. Yeah. So therefore, everything else before then was always uh, kind of always came back to the same. Okay, well, is there a treaty between the two countries? Uh, so um, and that that seemed to be all the other kind of cases we we saw or precedents we saw. There's always that was kind of the sticking point, and if there was no treaty, the judgment ultimately was not enforced. Uh, so. Um, and and then and then basically that was nine, in 2021 along with other legislative amendments or so many new changes and uh, and there was a few even a few statements I think the public um, uh, the U, the UE pub, attorney general even made a statement uh, that kind of a statement and directive to, uh, and guidance to judges the UE judges that basically that we should be enforcing foreign judgments um, in as long as they meet the criteria as per the laws. Uh, and then basically, and there, there's expectations sort of reciprocity that our UE judgment should also be equally, that other countries are also going to be enforcing our judgments if we're basically enforcing their judgment. judgment. So, so there's kind of a few little trends that are happening at the same time. So that's when we seize the moment. And we thought, okay, well, and then a few other civil procedure laws um, uh, that had been over the last few years introduced that made uh, gave a few more procedural tools for us to try out uh, to see if we can enforce this judgment. Um, so it's a very long <laughs> journey so far. So we're now in 2021. Uh, and so, um, so what we did is we filed what's called an order on petition. An order and petition you can file for something where you're basically asking it's an administrative request to the court, and we've we've dedicated specific podcasts to, to this have. this very topic. Uh, those who want to learn more about it, uh, but um, uh, it's a kind of administrative request to the court where you're saying something has already been decided or something is very clear, and we just want the court to basically say yes yeah. uh, and or no. Uh, and uh, so it doesn't. It does. There's no service on the on the other party. Just say this, you know. And not not all requests fall under um, under this sort of order and petition type. And the courts can reject them. And so we thought, okay, listen, we have a U.S. A US judgment, so it's already been decided. Substantive the issue has been decided. So it's basically a debt, a debt that um, the defendant has not paid. And also, yes, part of one of the other factors that happened along the way is that the defendant we found out that he moved back into the UAE and he was not based here, and so. Um, so it made sense to pursue him uh, because for for a while he was actually living, I think, in the, somewhere in the African continent. And so now he was in the in the in the UAE. So that's another reason that kind of made it inter- uh, perhaps uh, the right time to start to see if we can now, with this, using the benefit of these new laws, to uh, to apply and enforce this uh, U.S. judgment. Mm. So, so we filed this order and petition and requested for the court to basically just issue a decision. Yes, the judgment should be kind of enforced here. Uh, now, the courts, uh, the judge uh, said, well, in short, we need a treaty. And so it's a treaty that requires the basic for mutual recognition between the two countries of mutual recognition of judgment. Well, there was no treaty, and we even appealed that decision. That's the court of first instance. We appealed the decision stating that Article 85 that applies to enforcement foreign judgments does not require uh, an existence of a treaty. But perhaps because it's a judge of first instance and because there's decades of precedence behind that judge and in the, in the UAE jurisprudence where the treaty was always the requirement, uh, there wasn't basically, that was kind of, that was sort of the, the precedent had developed, the thinking and the mentality that had been developed. So the judge said, well, no, we need a treaty. 
So then we appealed the decision to the Court of Appeals, and we cited, again, and said, listen, the, the, the Article 85 of the UAE Civil Procedure Laws does not require a treaty. All the other factors are basically have been met. Um, so, for example, the uh, the ultimate, the original dispute was related to the U.S. So it's, you know, it kind of stems from the property. Uh, so the defendant was not only... Um, sort of served and informed of the case. He actually is the one who initiated the case and litigated the case first. So he was part of the case. He was he initiated it. He was served. He uh, even uh, represented himself to an extent. And so you know, so this there's you cannot claim that he did not know. So they said that's one of the requirements of. Article 85, uh, and that uh, uh, also that um, uh, the court was a, the court was a competent jurisdiction because it involved uh, a property dispute in the U.S. and it was obviously that court's jurisdiction, uh, and that also it it did not uh, violate public morals or was not against the UAE uh, public policies or public morals, and the treaty is not required, so therefore. Should be enforced. So that's sort of what we argued to the Court of Appeals. And lo and behold, the Court of Appeals agreed with us, which was a great success because, as I just described, kind of in the, in the, the backdrop of this, is this is the, the first, at least, you know, I, and we've looked high and low, at least in our practice. And our exhaustive search is the first U.S. civil judgment that we see we saw being enforced in the UAE, and specifically where the courts are saying, you know, the treaty between the two countries, U.S. and the UAE, is not required. So, what does the judgment mean? I mean, uh, assuming you've got over the fact that actually this has happened, the, the shock or amazement and whatever other emotions that were running through you, but what does the judgment mean? Because getting a judgment is fine, but all of a sudden you have to enforce it. Yes, well, but um, that was a little still premature because it was only a judgment of the Court of Appeals. I mean, Uh, what it meant to us at the time is the intellectual excitement. Right. It's just because yeah, because yeah. Of, wow. I mean, because also remember we just reversed. So the court of first instance yes. ruled um, that the treaty was required and there was no treaty. So and that's exactly sort of the the uh, the kind of the concern we had had all these years. And so and now the court of appeals said, well, in fact, you are correct. The treaty is not required. And as long as the other elements are met and you've demonstrated all the other elements are met, the treaty is not required. So they reversed, you know, A, they reversed the court of first instance judgment, which is always very exciting for for an attorney, when for a lit- litigator, yeah, yeah. when that happens, uh, when obviously when it's reversed in your, in your, in, <laughs> in your, in your favor. <laughs> so, and then, um, and then more specifically, the court said, well, yes, this is the treaty is not required, and this is a U.S. judgment. So basically, it meets all the other elements, and so we recognize that the U.S. court has jurisdiction. There's nothing against public morals, uh, and so therefore, this judgment should be enforced without the requirement of a treaty. And this is so. This is the first U.S. judgment that again that we found. So that's another point of uh, excitement. Yeah. Uh, and you know, that's not to you know that's not to mention just the excitement of like wow we're now finally seeing that potentially there's a possibility of at least bringing this person to justice because, I mean, that's truly what was happening. This person was just Mm. running away. He was fully aware of his obligations and the liability and that he had kind of left carnage similar of similar type in other countries of other jurisdictions. Uh, So this is not the first time uh, event. So it's it's not perhaps a person of the most uh, kind of the, the, the ethics or morals, but... 
there's you know he's not one of uh, there's many <laughs> like that I'm sure <laughs> we all can uh, point to a few in our in all of our lives uh, but anyway but this so it was a little bit of satisfaction of that as well so wow that you know this person may be actually finally held to account or at least you're getting close because okay so I've I jumped forward a little bit there was another stage to go to before you get a final judgment yes so predictably and we we knew this um uh, the defendant appealed uh, the court of cassation judgment right. uh so and uh, you know we again because this is all new we're at the forefront of the history in the making so we really did not know what to expect but the fact that it's basically not being reviewed by the court of cassation is that much more exciting because obviously the court of cassation is the court of cassation they are his, t- they tend to be more experienced, more senior judges, and so therefore their decisions have also a lot more gravitas. Mm. Not, not to mention that it's actually the final decision and, mm. um, once they issue a decision. So, uh, in short, the court, um, the court of cassation, also ruled in our favor, uh, confirming basically what's called dismissing the cassation, saying, "Listen, there's no reason for this cassation request for the defendant because uh, the court of appeals had judged uh, ruled properly." Um, so we confirm the courts of appeals judgment, which, by the way, is also the, another, another kind of step. And uh, for a lawyer, it's exciting. And uh, for, you know, so in the particular case, it was interesting. But um, because often what happens with courts of cassation, if they just affirm the judgment of the court of appeals, they say, listen, no, we, there's no reason for cassation, no reason for review. We confirm and affirm the lower courts, the court of appeals judgment, and that's it. And they don't elaborate anymore on their own reasons because that's enough for them. And they can do that. Oh, so okay. listen, they can say the, the court of appeals, we've re-examined the court of appeals judgment and they've they've reasoned well. Uh, well, their, their reasoning is sound. Um, so therefore we reviewed and there's no reason for cassation. We, we basically affirm and that's it. But they don't, they don't uh, sort of deliberate and, and, and um, offer their own reasoning. In this case, so both things happened. The court of cassation said, we reject uh, reject the cassation and reiterate the court of appeals judgment. Um, and uh, and then and then it kind of reiterated its own reasoning part, many of which were uh, so adopted from the court of appeals uh, judgment and many from our arguments that we we're presenting and said that, yes, listen, the Article 85, the procedure law applies to this uh, and that there is nothing against public morals. Uh, but this is the... You know, the U.S. court was the original court, and so kind of went through all the elements of Article 85, stating specifically that this was the this is a sound judgment from the right court with the right competence. The defendant had been properly served. It's not against public order, and the treaty is not required. So once again, they said the treaty is not required. Um, so which was huge. So and on that basis, uh, issued a decision reaffirming the Court of Appeals judgment. And voila, now we have a guiding principles, if not a binding principle from the highest court in Dubai. And it states the U.S. foreign judgment can be enforced in the UAE as long as it doesn't contradict public morals. And it does not require a treaty. Uh, and um, and therefore, basically, we are enforcing this judgment in, in this country. Okay. I said at the beginning of this podcast, LY Law Making History, this is precedent now, isn't it, in in legal terms. However, if I'm a person of questionable ethics, morals, and it sounds like this person, I think your words were wreaked havoc uh, in a number of different locations. So a judgment is passed against me in the US. I run away from that. A judgment is passed against me in the UAE. I would just up sticks and run away from that if I was that kind of a character. So how 
do you enforce a judgment when a person could just leave the UAE? Uh, very good question. And there's a few interesting uh, dynamics to that is that in a way, if you're that kind of a person you just described, that sort of with questionable morals and character and that wreaks havoc in many places, you go, at some point you run out of places. <laughs> you know that at least you want to live in, right? True. At, at some point. Sure. So there's only so many sort of uh, kind of, I don't, I don't want to misuse the term, but the sort of civilized places that you want to to live in. I mean, mm -hmm. I guess there's always the jungle somewhere or some uh, some abandoned island somewhere. But if you want to be part of the civilization, there's only so many places you can go to with that kind of questionable checkered history. So that's, you know, and that's perhaps also why the UAE has been so popular is because a lot of people, they might have kind of felt unwelcomed in the many other countries. But here... This isn't for, for many of them, it's going to last frontier mm. <laughs> before the jungle, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> geographically, that is. Uh, so, um, so there's, there's that. Um, and then also, but you know, kind of the flip side, uh, and also uh, one of the, I guess, attributes of the UAE is that once you've lived here, it's so hard to leave this country. It's, it's so comfortable. I mean, obviously, as every other country, there are issues and nuances, but more or less, it's a very comfortable country to live in. And it's very, um, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, everything is convenient. And if, especially if you have family, uh, it's a great place to live. And so over the years, people sort of make, um, make a nest here. And it's not so easy to get up and leave, right? Especially if you have family and, uh, you know, perhaps kids, wife, ex-wife, you know, family whatever other family members it's not so easy to uh, to leave this is true uh, so plus as part of the other kind of um, uh, add-on to the uae lifestyle is that people here tend to uh, people move here uh, some not obviously next it's, it's gross generalization but people with money and you have money the uae is very uh, nice to this has a lot of a lot of um uh, ways to show off your your money, right? Like fancy cars, nice cars, nice homes, and you know, uh, very comfortable flights. And so, so people move here and they kind of want to live that lifestyle. So all of a sudden, you got these fancy cars. Maybe you have yachts. Maybe you have jets. Maybe you have nice homes and multiple homes. So it really, it's not that easy to just pick up and leave. In other words, so when it comes down to it, how do you just? It's it's not. And I, I grant you all of that. And you're absolutely right, because there is there's certainly an element, certainly in the media, of a real luxury lifestyle here. And lots of people live that, but not everybody does. But somebody still could get up and leave if if there is a judgment there and they that's their character. They run away from obligation. Sure. You, you're right. You're right. And that's that's always the concern. So and that's one of the other, um, uh, I'd like to, to think one of the strongest uh, leverage of, of the UAE sort of judicial system for those who are on the right side of, <laughs> of the judicial system, that is, <laughs> is that this this principle is called enforcement um, of a judgment. Uh, so, um, and that means is that, and, and you can apply for enforcement of a judgment after you have an appeal court decision. So, which means, is so uh, in, in simple terms, is when once you have a judgment from the Court of Appeals, not the Court of First Instance, but the Court of Appeals, mm -hmm. then you can apply to the court as what's called the precautionary measures, a precautionary attachment. So, it's kind of precautionary uh, tools that you're putting in place to, to try to make sure that the person does not leave or that they don't divest their assets. Uh, so, you can start enforcing proceedings. You start. You're not seizing anything yet, but you can put freezes on things. 
Right? Okay. So because because there's right, always right, a chance right. that that verdict will be um, will be um, reversed on the court of cassation, mm. and if it's reversed, then obviously then that's the, you'd have to kind of reinstate everything. This is why um, the UAE judicial system has developed these tools where you can apply for enforcement on the basis of the court of appeals judgment, uh, and but as part of enforcement, the request you can make is, for example, you can uh, you can if you have the details, or you can ask the court for for these to help you find these details let's say you have the you have the um the account the bank account number of a defendant you can say please freeze this bank account to the tune of the judgment value uh, so or for example i know the person has a home so please freeze this home freeze freeze a car for example well, only freeze right so it's like and the court don't grant all of these requests all the time it really depends on the circumstances it has to be a, a serious amount of money a significant amount of money and such so and one of the other requests could be that you can make is prevent the person from traveling leaving the uae and again this is this is what's called the part of the precautionary attachment which the idea here is to um uh, to prevent the person from doing a runner from divesting all mm. these assets and knowing that finally there's this uh it's, it's catching up life is catching up with them so let me just divest everything and pack up and leave so so there is that also um, a tool. It's 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 temporary. So if ultimately the court of cassation reverses the judgment, that it all kind of just gets unfrozen and and that's that. But um, as part of um, this particular case on the court of appeals, you we made requests for a travel ban, for example, so preventing the person from leaving the country, uh, you know, until the judgment is finished. And that's again because of a non-payment. Of a judgment amount, right? And you can start making requests already. So you're kind of proceeding with enforcement as if you already had the final judgment, but you cannot, you can only uh, do with whatever the assets you identify and locate. You can only, you can only hold on to that, hold on to them through the courts freezes. Okay. So in this particular case, in this instance, this person can't leave the country, is here in the UAE until the, the judgment is dealt with. Yeah, because the idea is right. you can always leave, oh, okay. right? You just pay the judgment. So you pay the judgment, and for and furthermore, there's also you see it's it's this is also important to, to uh, underline or, or highlight is that you can pay the judgment if you don't want all that sort of for your life to be to go through this sort of a freezing <laughs> order, uh, this tumultuous process. You just pay the judgment, and mm. then you can you can still challenge it. You see, you can still go through the court of cassation. So listen, if the court of cassation gets reversed. You just you just reclaim your money. You see, okay. because what you can do is you and how you um, pay the money. You just you can pay the money to the court. So you're not giving it to the claimant. Right. You're just depositing with the court, and that way you have no freezes. So that way, because there's the only so these these uh, freezes on accounts or uh, restriction to travel are only granted in cases where the person does not want to honor the court's judgment. The court's right. decision. So right. you're basically violating the authority's orders, right? And so it's in only in those cases. But um, there's always a very easy way to address this. So you just pay the judgment. You pay the amount of judgment to the court. Uh, to the court. So it's still safe. Your money is safe. You pay it to the court, and then you go ahead and, and you argue your case at the court of cassation. So then you have uh, basically you have the ability to uh, to kind of then to, then do both, preserve your interest, and at the same time have the freedom that maybe you are not ready to part with yet. Okay, so when does the uh, original claimant get their money back? If the money is paid to the court by the person who has had this judgment enforced upon them, uh, and it's a debt, when does the claimant 
get their money back from the court. How does that yeah. work? So it's only once you have the judgment from the court of cassation, and that means that the judgment is final. From the very Either, top. Yes, from the very right. top. Either when you have the judgment from the court of cassation, which makes the judgment final, or when the court of appeals judgment is not appealed and then becomes final by virtue of it not being appealed. Okay. Right? So basically, but ultimately when the judgment becomes final, this is when you can now start the enforcement proceedings full force. And as part of the enforcement proceedings with the final judgment on the basis of final judgment, then you can start requesting um, information so, so, and what you do is you ask the court to make requests to different authorities or different parties about that, that the defendant and that, again that's only in the event that they're not paying the judgment right? it's very easy <laughs> you just pay the judgment and then you're done you don't need to have that sort of investigation mm. that needs to take place but otherwise what you do is you write the court can you please write the central bank and have the central bank provide the details to the court where this person has bank accounts uh, or can you please write to the land department and see if the person has properties can you write to uh, their court? Can you make a request to, let's say, um, a particular economic zone to see if the person has companies? Uh, can you write, for example, to RTA, which is the Road Transportation Authorities, to see if the person has any vehicles? And so, so you kind of go through this and due diligence and investigative process, it's a detective work, but with the help of the court, right? So everything is done official to the court. The court will issue uh, either specific letter to specific authority or will actually communicate directly with the authority. Uh, and so, and then you kind of amass your your database of information because in every one of these requests is always is limited and caveated to the extent of the judgment. So you cannot, for example, the person has a villa for 100 million dirhams and your judgment is for 200,000 dirhams. You cannot necessarily you know, seize that villa. There's always sure. so there's always only to the extent of the judgment. Uh, so uh, so and then and then basically as you're finding these assets, then uh, then you can start liquidating them. Uh, through the auctions and such, uh, and that's in the event that uh, the, the person doesn't come forward and pay. Uh, so the person can come to the court and say, okay, I'll pay on the, some sort of a, s- a scheduled payment plan, for example, a staged, uh, like a settlement, they make a settlement offer to the court, not to the uh, not to the claimant so much, but through the court and say, okay, we can we pay this in installments, for example. Um, so, uh, but in any event, even if you're doing it as part of this installment plan, the enforcement proceedings remain. Because the idea here is that the court doesn't want you to do a runner. Because you know, if you if they approve the installment plan, it doesn't it does not mean that oh now you can leave the country and sell all your assets and disappear. Mm. Uh, so there's a you know that's in that in that sense the UAE um, legal system is very effective. Um, so uh, you know you can really. Um, uh, I guess deploy some very effective tactics in cases like this to ultimately get people to, uh, you know, to, to basically responsible and to be responsible for their actions because that's what it's about, right? It's basically there's a, an obligation, a legal obligation the person is ignoring. It's bringing somebody to account, isn't it? And, you know, I, I think I use the word navigate and re-navigate and boy, did you do some navigation to get to this point. But it strikes me that this is... This is a hugely significant uh, event, essentially, in legal terms. Do you think it will make it easier now? Or will it be that, uh, I guess, foreign judgments will become more, uh, what's the word, prevalent? Uh, because there is this this precedence now that, that you guys have set. I, I would hope so. I absolutely would hope so. And, and it would uh, seem that way. And it should be. And for a number of reasons. One is because, as I mentioned, 
uh, the courts in our case, the Court of Appeals and the Court of Cassation, were very specific in their reasoning. There wasn't, there wasn't just, yeah, you know, yes, because sometimes this happens and some of them were perhaps routine cases where the Court of Cassation will just say, yes, we affirm uh, the previous court's judgment. Mm. Uh, here, both courts, uh, higher courts, uh, had a very detailed and very sound reasoning, right? And, and they, one, two, they rely on the specific laws, uh, and they apply and they interpret this laws in the only way really you can, <laughs> just really, you should, they should be interpreted, which is there is no requirement of a treaty. So therefore, we should not be requiring a treaty. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um, so there is also that. And, uh, you know, and then as I said earlier, there was also the statement from the UAE Attorney General, kind of, again, with the same sentiment. Uh, and um, also, I have to tell you, we have seen in the last few years, actually the last year, is that now uh, some foreign countries are starting to enforce UAE judgments. And obviously that benefits the country here. So in, in, recently there was an English court, I think, that enforced the UAE judgment in England. Uh, so it's basically, it's again, it's a principle of comity. If you consider your own kind of countries and jurisdictions and courts to be of more or less um, sort of equal footing, uh, then you should want to, mm. you, should, you, should, you should not have an issue with enforcing foreign judgments. Uh, so, um, uh, and then, and then, but more importantly, I think for the UAE in, in particular is, uh, uh, you know, I guess different people, different accounts can, uh, people can differ, but, um, the UAE maybe by some accounts has had this reputation of harboring people who are running away from the law, <laughs> like fugitives, uh, just, uh, because it's been kind of an easy place for them to hide. Uh, the UAE doesn't want that reputation, mm. and that's not the reputation it, it aims to sort of to establish, let alone kind of you know, protect or preserve. Uh, so it wants to shed that reputation, uh, and um, uh, and it's not necessarily that it's kind of you know, consciously wanted to kind of play that role. It's just because the legal system was developing, and as part of the development legal system, there were these sort of. Uh, nuances and the that were kind of happening in, in legal terms that made it more difficult for for foreign uh, foreign parties to enforce foreign judgments in the UAE. So it wasn't intentional per se. It's just that the laws needed a little bit of updating. Uh, and so I would say now for the UAE, it's a, it's a tremendous, tremendous development. It's a tremendous um, accomplishment and precedent, and it should be sort of advertised and celebrated uh, because the UAE shows to the world, yeah, if you've got a civilized, you know, like a judgment, a good reason judgment from any other jurisdiction that that ultimately, and it, that does not contradict um, our principles and morals, absolutely will enforce it. Uh, we would want to, you know, to, to make sure that you would do the same, we, it, with our judgment on the same basis as long as it doesn't contradict your public morals but yeah basically just because people so we don't want to have this reputation of of uh, in the world that people can come here and hide you know people mm. who are running away from the obligations from you know criminals con artists uh we don't want that reputation so absolutely you have judgment you'll come here and we will um, we absolutely have the legal framework and now precedent to enforce these judgments and we've seen that recently with uh, the fr uh, the tax fraud or tax evasion judgment. I think it was from Denmark um, that also was being enforced here. Uh, but there was a criminal judgment. But still, so I think this is so we're heading in that direction, and that's that's I think it's a it's a positive change, and it will only uh, highlight the UE's reputation as a very progressive uh, judicial system. Uh, and I would say, yeah, to, to 
certainly uh, only benefits it's it's as 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 a, a country and it's as an economy because it instills a lot more confidence in other foreign countries um that this country also has similar laws robust legal systems and it will honor the principles the judicial principles of uh, comedy between uh, foreign courts Final question for you, Ludmilla. Taking into account everything you've said, and it's it's some story. We've been talking for just over an hour about this just one uh, particular story. But what have you learned from the experience? And what would you advise others if if that might be a course that they would take to have a foreign judgment uh, enforced here in the Emirates? Well, interesting. So, because remember, what we're talking about is, again, not to be boastful about it, but I think we're making history. Making history means you are you are deploying somewhat uh, novel arguments, novel approaches. So you don't want to be afraid uh, of um, you, know, you should not be afraid because the law the law is changing. So be very vigilant. Mm. I guess that's one piece of advice. But very very vigilant of the new laws. Yeah. Uh, and then once you identify, uh, you know, don't don't rely just on your experience from before of all how things used to be. Uh, just keep your eye on the ball because the laws are changing um, quite rapidly. One, two, don't be afraid now to utilize these new laws and try to be creative and inventive in in uh, trying to implement or assert or argue these new laws in the courts and then three also don't be um, don't be afraid or perhaps even more even be uh, be mindful of not kind of sticking to your old practices and your old arguments if you're arguing new arguments and making new arguments make new and novel arguments not old ones because what happened here in this particular case the defendant's lawyers were making all the same recycled arguments which we have seen over the years here and mm. so many lawyers here make is just kind of it's almost like you've got this sort of a bag of, of phrases or arguments and they just, that's, you know, 30 years or 40 years old and they just grab into that bag, pull out and recite it, recite it without really much, without actually reading what the claimant, the arguments the claimant is making. So for example, they made arguments such as, oh, the judgment was corrupt, you know, or was fraudulent because the court, the U.S. court had made some um, markings by hand, so sort of some... Uh, some changes by hand, some clarifications. Um, so, oh, because it has been, there's some sort of handwriting, that means it's fraudulent. It's such an old and outdated argument. I've seen these arguments. In the past, they were successful, right? Mm. In the past, in the courts here. But we've moved on. The times have moved on. The courts yeah. have moved on. But, you know, when I came here 10 years ago, these are kind of arguments. It's like if you wanted to challenge the validity, the whole case, you, just, you challenge the validity of the document. Look, I don't have the original. You don't have the original, they're... You don't have uh, the the original stamp, therefore the, the document is not original. That's how it used to be, but it's it's no more. Yeah. But yet, in this case, the defendants' uh, lawyers were arguing basically just that: oh, the document, the court judgment, uh, was um, uh, sort of fraudulent because you know it had this sort of handwriting, or uh, or it was defective in reasoning and logic. Yeah, so uh, exactly, exactly, exa- exactly. But again, these. Sorry, are, I didn't understand that. Yeah, right, yeah exactly. <laughs> this is why. So it is again. It comes with these old goodie bags of of arguments that are dated, maybe uh, too old. Yeah. Uh, but I've seen them being used often before, so I I know where they're coming from. But they're coming from this sort of old bag that should not just be recycled, but like thrown away into the dump because it's those arguments is no no more. Mm. The courts don't really care about it anymore, and in, in that any event, of course, we are not reviewing the the U.S. judgments, um, the U.S. court's judgments or reasoning. That's we're not. That's a substantive case. It's been decided there. We're here just basically only to enforce the judgment. So I'm mean, only saying that the court's reasoning was flawed. 
Well, that's what I'm thinking. The, the, this has been settled. Well, not settled, but this is a judgment from the US. That's done. That's That almost has nothing to do with it. It's just the fact that it needs to be... Um, it's not ratification, but it needs to be recognised. And that's really what a foreign judgment is. It's recognising that in the country. And then you can apply for enforcement. It's interesting that because those arguments just do not compute. The other side, I think, it's worth making the point again, and we say this all the time, the legal framework here has changed. It's almost unrecognisable in the last three years. And clearly... You used the word progressive earlier earlier on as a judicial um, jurisdiction, if you like. And that, that's exactly what the UAE now is and, and I think should be recognized for. Absolutely. And, and that's why we're talking about this today, because I think what the UAE, UAE courts have done with this judgment is, is exactly the manifestation of that, that they're progressive, yeah. um, that they are open, that they, uh, that they are very much mindful of the reputation that they want to create and foster in the world. Um, they want to be deemed and considered on the, so the world stage as, as an equal partner. Uh, they want their judgments to be recognized in other jurisdictions. Uh, and equally so, that's part of that. They, they say, absolutely, we will not, we will, if it's a, a well-reasoned, if it's a good, if it's a valid judgment, we'll recognize it here as well. Mm. Uh, and uh, we will not be this considered as a as a safe haven for people who run away from, from the law in other countries. Uh, if you have a judgment, um, we will absolutely enforce it, as long as it does not violate public morals. That is another edition of Logical. I think that's the longest we've ever spoken. One hour and ten minutes or somewhere around there, Ludmilla. Um, Remember, we're making history, so it's okay. Well, I was just going to say that. Enforcement of foreign judgments, that's what we've been talking about here in the Emirates. And LY Law making history as well. So congratulations, I have to say that. Um, As ever, thanks for watching, uh, listening, or both. Thanks to our legal expert. Uh, That is, as always, the managing partner here at Yamalava and Plethka, Ludmilla Yamalava. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. Find us at LY Law, social media, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn. You can find all the podcasts at lylawyers.com or on your uh, favorite podcast platform. If you'd like your legal question answered in an episode of Logical, or if you'd like to talk to a qualified UAE experienced legal professional, click contact at lylawyers.com. Music.